Welcome to the Grace-Based Family Podcast. We're We're your your hosts, hosts, Karis Murray and Michelle Brook. This is a podcast where we look at the power of grace in the everyday lives of families. We're excited for you to listen in on the conversation. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Karis. Hey, so we have a very exciting podcast today. Well, I'm stoked, but um, we're talking with a good friend of mine that I've known for many years. His name is John Correa. Uh, John Korea is a follower of the way of Jesus. He's a husband, a daddy, and a smoked meat lover. Like, hello, who's not? I don't know. Um, His background is as a pastor, a teacher, and a professor with nine years teaching undergraduates and five years teaching graduate students. And uh, today, though, he is the owner of Active Self-Protection, the most watched self-defense and real-life defensive firearms use channel in the world on youtube and this channel gets over 70 million views a month no no time time out 20 not 70 70 please lord 70 (laughs) you know i'm speaking that prophecy over your life right now uh, from your lips to god's ears (laughs) 20 million views a month which is plenty but we're hoping for 70 and he's a firearms and martial arts instructor whose primary passion is still to know jesus and help others know him And, you know, you're, you're kind of YouTube famous now. Mm-hmm. Crazy, but yeah. true. Can't even Do deny it. Do people recognize you when you're out places? Yes. Okay. Get, I mean, not all the time, but, you know, when you're walking around Costco and somebody comes up and goes, are you John from Masp? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, can I get a selfie? Sure. <laughs> oh, how funny. So, so crazy, huh? But um, I know John because we went to church together. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's probably been, what, 15 years at least now? Yeah, something like 15, that. 15, 17. I mean, how old I are my kids? I think probably 13 years since yeah, 13, we were at church years. together. And our kids were little then, and we were in uh, a, a you know small group Sunday school class mm-hmm. at our big mega church. But we all we both thought of it as our kind of our church because those mm-hmm. were the people that we did life with, as they say, and we got close with. We prayed together weekly and um, would have a prayer meeting at one of our houses and stuff. So I got to know John and his wife Laura through that and knew his kids when they were little. Um, and then he went to pastor a church and then went to pastor another church and you're a seminary professor. You've written two geeky books on theology. <laughs> one really geeky book and one, one more Sunday school to Bible college me- level. Medium geeky. Yes. Okay. Um, and so he is kind of the jack of all trades, but what, what I think is so cool is that you have built this, this platform um, about self-defense and firearms use, and uh, it has just blown up. And so it's become your full-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- ha- when did you go full-time with, with the channel? Uh, full-time with Active Self-Protection started in January of 2017. The church went part-time at that okay. point. Somewhat that was necessary because church was struggling financially. And mm, so, you uh-huh. know, there's no money. Okay, right, how okay. do we make this yeah, right? Yeah, right. Uh, right. And then solo in February of 2018. Mm. Yeah, and you said the cha- you started the channel really officially in 2013, but then really started using it in 2016. So YouTube allowed me to monetize the channel in April of 2016. So that's when I was like, oh, maybe we should do something with this. Be a career or something like that. We started the the social media side of the business on Facebook in 2013. And the the Facebook page is is great too. And we do stuff there and it's got about 300,000 likes, something like that. And then, um, yeah, but the YouTube channel is where it went kablooey. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all Jesus, but uh, now about 1.55 million uh, subscribers. We get about 20 million views a month, which is kind of bonkers. Wow! Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, no, huge. congratulations. Awesome. And it and it it was a 
it feels like such a sharp incline, <laughs> I think, from the outside looking in. I tell but people, just like anything, I mean. Overnight success yeah. just requires six or seven years of hard work behind right, the scenes. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing. No right. such thing. <laughs> um, so, well, I love it. So why don't you kind of... Yeah get to know John yeah. because I know John already. Well, Karis has been telling me about you for a while. And then when she said, yeah, John's going to come in. We're going to do a podcast. I'm like, okay, I got to Google this guy. Google so, this dude on the, yes, yeah. I'm searching. I'm like, wait, Navy seminary yeah. professor, yeah. YouTube sensation, <laughs> pastor. I'm like, this is <laughs> sensational. So I'm like, this is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. So the, the first thing that kind of jumped out to me, and I would love for you to kind of unpack this is like, there's so much right now with, you know, gender roles and this far right party and this toxic masculinity. And the thing that struck me when I watched your stuff, I'm like, how funny, like I can see on your YouTube channel, how people would perceive you as just this like macho, masculine, gun toting, like, you know, very intense man. But then you have this tender, right? This tender side of you where a family man, you're a husband, you're a man of the Lord, um, seminary trained pastor. So how do you like, push like meld these two worlds together and explain who you are to people when they see you so i always tell folks that you know read the gospels a few times yeah. and what you find there when you read yeah. the gospels is that jesus is not one-dimensional he is mm-hmm. uh, a fully complex fully human and fully god and and uh jesus's ire is sometimes downplayed a lot of times we think mm-hmm. of jesus as mr rogers with a beard mm-hmm. but uh <laughs> That that's not Jesus. Now his frustrations are reserved for overly religious people, which is right, kind of funny, right. as opposed to the world. Um, and, and and you know when I tell folks, look, I, I'm not. I don't think Jesus. I don't. I don't like warrior Jesus either. But um, there's a book that I read many years ago called The Man of Steel and Velvet. That mm. that oh, you know you have a, a core of strength that is covered in uh, softness, and that mm. is important, and that's who Jesus is. So when he cleansed the temple, you know, he's not mm-hmm. this sickly, weak guy that's like, hey, you guys, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't have worked. You know, they, you know, why did the, the money changers and everyone else vacate the temple? <laughs> because the threat of physical harm was present. Right? You're going to yeah. move or it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so there's a both and there. And I don't think it's a, you know, how do you reconcile those? I reconcile them in the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. And in the same way, when I teach self-defense, I don't teach... Um, aggression. I teach Mm. defense. I just maintain boundaries, right? I just, I have the right to uh, defend my boundaries and Mm -hmm. you don't have the right to violate those boundaries. And uh, if that hurts you, that's not my fault. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're the one who does that. So, Mm. and and all that within the the realm of that is what it means in my opinion to love someone. Mm. So um, I, I, I've really, this is one of my big passions is that people look at love, especially in America as an emotion, as an, uh, a feel good about someone, whereas mm. love biblically is earnestly desiring God's best for someone and doing what I can to see that come about. Mm-hmm. And so if I really love someone, uh, then stopping them from hurting someone else is a moral good right. because that um, that sin follows them into eternity. Mm. And so to stop that and say, no, you can't do that is a moral good, mm. uh, according to uh, Luke twelve forty seven. So uh, mm. I think they both work together. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So you just mentioned boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you do with the active self-protection is is defense. It's mm-hmm. setting up boundaries. And how does that relate to as far as relationships and family? How it's do all you the same see thing. That? All across yeah. the board. It's all the same thing, really. If 
you think about, I love Cloud and Townsend's Boundaries, yeah. the original one. Me I know too. there's like 854 books now, right? There's like boundaries yeah. with your pets. Right. Yeah. There is. Boundaries, boundaries for in, goldfish. Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries yeah. in traffic and like all these. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but the original Boundaries, I think, is a really fantastic mm-hmm. book, really helpful for me. And whether my boundaries are spiritual, emotional, relational, financial, physical, that's all part and parcel of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So me defending my emotional boundaries says, no, you're not welcome in this. We, I want to have a relationship with you within these parameters. And if you can't do that within those parameters, then we can't have relationship. Mm -hmm. Same thing physically. I want to have proximity with you and that's Mm. great and that's fine, but that has to exist within these parameters. And if Mm. you can't exist within those parameters, then we're not going to be able to exist in the same space. So they're really not Mm. any different at their foundation. You -hmm. you have to back away to look at the principled issue here. Mm. Same thing with a, you know, emotional boundaries. When somebody says, well, wait a minute, I... I'm responsible to make sure this person is happy. Whoa, let's back up and talk about that boundary. That's not a healthy place to be and we we can't own that. So we have to set and maintain that boundary. And when somebody forcibly tries to Mm -hmm. push past that boundary, we have the right to push back and say, Mm -hmm. no, Mm -hmm. this boundary will stand. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, all that is a great segue into what we Mm -hmm. came here to talk about today, Mm -hmm. which I think may surprise some of the people who know you from YouTube. Um, sure. Some of those, you know, 20 slash 70 million people per month. 70, that come she's prophesying. I am, I prophesy. <laughs> that is my spiritual gift. So, um, you know, I think that, that they might be surprised that what we asked you to come here about today mm-hmm. is, is, you know, not firearms training, not self-defense, although I think it, all the principles tie in, like mm-hmm. you said, with boundaries. But we're going to talk about parenting kids with mental illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With you know, s- mental health issues, which obviously run a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Big time. Um, I have, uh, you know, in my family, I've suffered with depression and I have ADHD. I have one daughter who has ADHD and uh, has recently struggled some with uh, some depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I've got another daughter who has some anxiety, probably mostly because she has to deal with the rest of us. Right. <laughs> Seems the teenage it, experience it, it, is yes, anxious today. It, it, the well, pressure and is that so is intense. so true yeah. is, is that there is just this collective anxiety, mm-hmm. I think. And there's all sorts of reasons for that and social media and the pace and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But, Thank God I came of um, age before social media. Oh man. Oh, yeah. Well, I said d- and did so many dumb <clears throat> things. But thankfully, there's younger, no record. But there is no record. Right. Hallelujah. They're not in the cloud. But, yeah, They're but, just yeah. in people's memories. It is yeah. now. So, you know, so my my family has has struggled with that kind of stuff. And we've, you know, we've learned that parenting kids is hard anyway for As everyone. As a rule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Michelle and I, we, we, we work in this ministry. And I grew up with my parents. You know, my dad kind of wrote the book on parenting. And we grew up in this family. We were about as well-resourced. We are about as Mm -hmm. (laughs) well-resourced and well-supported as any parents could possibly be. And yet it still takes you by surprise how hard it is. Mm -hmm. And so when you add to that um, just a whole spectrum of extra that our kids can be, whether and we've, we've talked about special needs before mm-hmm. and you know anything that's sort of unique to them that is not necessarily something that every kid would need so there's a whole spectrum of that but specifically mental illness 
is something that can really, really turn the parenting and family experience upside down. It sure can. Mm -hmm. And your family has uh, probably over the last 10 years really kind of walked through it. Boy, we've and I'll let you tell fire. your story and what, okay. what you want to share. But yeah, it, it has been quite a journey. And so tell us about, you know, some of those challenges yeah. that you face. Maybe, maybe you might think these might be common challenges that parents mm -hmm. of mentally ill kids face, that maybe parents of neurotypical kids, I don't like to say normal because nobody's normal. Mm -hmm. And normal implies that like, if you're not normal, that's bad. But mm -hmm. neurotypical, Neurotypical right? is the easy way yeah. to say it. Mm -hmm. So parents of neurotypical kids, they just, they don't, they would never see these things because it, they don't experience it. Right. Right. So. Well, and I'm very neurotypical that. myself. I, mm. I, I've not ever struggled with depression personally. Um, mm. So those are, you know, I, I look at this stuff from the outside a little bit. Mm. Laura, my wife uh, has really well managed depression today, uh, mm -hmm. probably eight years ago, not nearly so much. So I, I will say this and, and kind of hit you with a bang at the start uh, about eight years ago, Laura's depression got significantly worse. She had some trauma and, and things got really bad. She looked at me one day and said, I don't know if I'm going to kill myself or go get help. But one of those two is happening pretty soon. Mm. And now if I had known today what I knew, you know, if I had known then what I know today, we would have instantly gone to the emergency room. We would have yeah. said, great, let's go get some help right now. Yeah. Uh, it would have been an easy day, but I didn't know that back then. Uh, mm -hmm. Thankfully, about three weeks later, she said, okay, I'll go to the psychiatrist if you make the appointment. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I moved heaven and earth, had a friend who knew a psychiatrist in town that could clear their schedule for a little mm -hmm. bit to get her in. Yeah. And has been there from there. So that's kind of where that began. Now, uh, about 10 years ago, well, maybe about seven or eight years ago, our oldest started exhibiting signs of some significant mental illness, probably from some early childhood trauma. And so that's when we really started dealing with it. All four of my kids have um, struggled with mental illness challenges at one time or another. Uh, all four of my kids have made inpatient uh, hospital trips for that. Uh, our middle has uh, probably the longest journey in that in terms of maybe the hardest journey in that mm -hmm. has been uh, eight or nine times uh, in the hospital, including residential treatment, medications, this and that. Uh, but mm -hmm. all four of our kids have done that. So learning what that journey looks like has been an everyday exercise in trust, mm -hmm. an everyday mm -hmm. exercise in what do we do today from here? One of the things that's become so important to me is there's no hope for a better past. I can't do anything about what's behind yeah. me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I can't, I, if I could go back and change some things, I certainly would. Mm -hmm. uh, if I could make a few decisions differently, we might not have been in some of the places that we were, but I can't. So mm -hmm. since there's no hope for a better past, what do we have right here, right now? And how do we take a step forward from mm -hmm. here and honor God? And uh, mm -hmm. that's just been a, a journey over the mm -hmm. last 10 years of learning what is most important in life mm. and what are things that I have to be willing to let go. Mm. Uh, and that, <laughs> that's, that's hard sometimes, but mm. yeah. is incredibly freeing too. Yeah. And that kind of makes me think of this question about how, how, when you're in a situation where you're dealing with a lot of mental health things and you're kind of neurotypical and this isn't the norm, right? Especially for a Christian family, this doesn't look like a happy, healthy Christian family. How do you one, like put up those healthy boundaries and love these people well and support them while at the same time not falling into your own like resentment towards them or, or your own depression or anxiety that this is not normal. This is not how my family should be operating. Yeah. 
So I'm going to push back just a little bit mm-hmm. on the word normal. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we in the Christian church have been taught to hide mental illness issues. We don't yeah, talk about sure. it well. For sure. We don't um, see that. And so, you know, that thing we're driving to church on Sunday morning, having a big fight and everybody smile because as yeah. far as everybody knows, we're a nice, normal family. Well, right. uh, mm-hmm. that picture of normal is this kind of McCarthyist you know, nuclear family where everybody's happy, everybody's whole, nobody struggles. And and that is radically abnormal. If I looked at mm-hmm. a family that all the relationships were incredibly solid, everybody was doing incredibly well and there were no struggles, I would be, I'd be like, that's abnormal. Yeah. I, it's, it's fine, but it's abnormal. Either you're lying or, right. or it or hasn't hit yet. Teach me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or teach me. Or yeah. So uh, when we say, wait a minute, what is normal versus abnormal? Well, what is healthy versus unhealthy? Mm, right? right? What is good versus needs improvement? Yeah. So I, th- I think the biggest thing that I've had to learn, the biggest thing that I've had to learn to do, and it has not always come easy, mm-hmm. is to be okay just being me. Just to be mm-hmm. okay that when my children suffer, that does not mean I I'm at fault. Mm-hmm. And I don't, because I don't own the input here, I don't own the outcomes. Yeah. Um, I had to learn this with Laura when, when mm-hmm. we really started with her with struggling with depression and recovering from that and managing her depression, that when she was having a bad day and she couldn't get out of bed, uh, she'd had maybe eight months there where she'd spent three, four, five days in a row in bed. Mm-hmm. I'd bring her some food and, hey, I love you, and it'd get cold and she wouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to learn to say, I was so long, if, as long as I did something to help her to get better, then I was okay. Yeah. But that was me owning her. And mm-hmm. I wasn't then a caregiver. I was a caretaker. Mm-hmm. And having to say, I'm okay if you're, if you're not okay, I want to do what I can to help. But I am not in charge of, of your soul. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. between you and God. And so I can be a good part. Mm-hmm. I, that's boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's also this idea that says, I am not outcome focused. I'm process focused. And mm-hmm. all I can do is invest in inputs yeah. that are healthy. So when my kids have struggled mightily, when, when Aaron, you know, flipped out at me, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that, that's not a, a solo occurrence. You know, we had quite some time there where we would know if we got to a certain level of frustration and she got to going, then mm-hmm. that was that was lift off velocity. Right. We would, mm-hmm. you know, and when we lift it off, I'm talking, uh, I literally at one point, um, they didn't go to church with us one Sunday and, uh, you know, I, I get, hey, you go ahead. Cause I'd go early as the pastor mm-hmm. and we'll meet you there. Then a text, Hey, I don't think we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. And then a text, uh, as I step down from the pulpit, we're on our way to, uh, the hospital. We'll meet mm-hmm. you there. Uh, mm-hmm. the police are here. Yeah. Okay, so you know, uh, am I okay? So, so mm-hmm. I'm literally in a, in a family church, pointing out. Uh, we step down from the pulpit, we sing a final song. Hey, everybody, I gotta go. We've had an emergency. This person, that person, this person. You're gonna teach my Sunday school class today. I've got to get right uh, mm-hmm. and go. And so, when you learn to go, I'm in charge of processes, and I can't change those. I can't change yeah. the realities of the current, mm-hmm. but I can be process focused and know who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have I done a good job? Have mm-hmm. I, have I been a good dad? Have I been in my, and that's only not by their outcomes, but by my inputs. Have mm-hmm. I done the things that a good dad does? And and I think that takes what you said earlier, Karis, real self-reflection mm-hmm. and a willingness to change. I have really changed my parenting style in the last couple of years. Mm. I've had to. Yeah. And uh, I think for the better and for healthier. And, and in doing that, then, then you can stand and go, 
okay, mm-hmm. this yeah. is the outcomes we get. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, we like to say here that, you know, you don't have to be a perfect parent. Nobody's a perfect parent. Uh, you just have to be a good enough grace-based parent. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the, the reflection <clears throat> comes in is set, to say, of course, I'm not perfect. Mm. Um, but are, am I basing my relationships in grace? Yep. The mm-hmm. way that God parents us with this sort of, you know, unmerited favor, unconditional love, mercy when it's warranted, mm. but rules, boundaries. Yep. Right all the things, right? You know, grace isn't, doesn't mean nice. It doesn't mean push over all these things that I think in our, you know, restricted language for grace, that it's really easy to fall into thinking that that means. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think with these emotional boundaries that you're talking about, I know, I mean, this is a huge struggle for me. Um, Even when things are, are going great. Um, I'm an empath naturally i quite literally i quite literally feel other people's Mm -hmm. emotional pain physically Mm. in my body um and it builds up to the point that i just like i get will get a headache get a Mm. migraine i physically feel their Mm. emotional pain and so boundaries are physically important you know emotional boundaries are physically important for me because i will feel feel things in my bones Mm. um but i've heard it said that you know, you're only as happy as your least happy kid. Hmm. Not that that's how it should be. Right. Mm-hmm. But that I think that that's a reality of parenting is that um, when you when you love people dearly, the people closest in your in your inner circle, that it's really easy to to fall into the trap of I'm only as OK yeah. mm-hmm. as the least OK person in but, this family. So the challenge um, there. There's a real challenge because, for instance, uh, I would say Laura is an empath as well, my mm-hmm. wife, and our mm-hmm. youngest is also an empath. Mm-hmm. Right. So w- one of the challenges there is that when you say, wait a minute, I'm only as okay as my least okay, well, that can put so much pressure on that child to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And they can right. hide it, things because right. if I'm not okay, then mom or dad is not okay. Right. And, yeah. And learning to, to go wait, I want to teach you that you're not responsible for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And the best way I can do that is to own that myself mm-hmm. and not be responsible for right. you. And because it, those. it is, it's too, it's too big a b- burden for them to bear, especially somebody who's struggling, Yes. you know, mm-hmm. and totally. mm-hmm. when someone is depressed, it's like the least helpful thing yeah. in the world for yeah. them to feel like they need to act okay. Right. Yep. You know and what so I mean? Do. Mm-hmm. And be okay. Like if they mm-hmm. could be okay, they would be okay. Yeah. yeah. Nobody in depression goes, this be, is awesome. Yeah. Right. If if they could not be nervous or not be depressed, they would most certainly right. do that. For right. Sure. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, so I think when, when this is a big part of your family story, there just are these extra layers of challenges that, mm-hmm. you know, just so much of this is also invisible from the outside yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are sort of invisible emotional, inj- uh, you know, Injuries that yeah. our, our kids and we carry around. and um... Well, and I think because in the church, especially when somebody's depressed and, and we, some folks, well-meaning people, just if you prayed enough, right. Right. If, you, if you only just grasped the promises God had for you, then mm-hmm. you'd feel better and you'd stop being depressed. Yeah. Um, that's like asking a diabetic, you know, if you only mm-hmm. just prayed more, then right. your diabetes would go away. Mm-hmm. Well, had more faith. Right. If you yeah. just had more faith. Probably the closest I've ever been to punching someone in the face <laughs> was with my friend uh, who has multiple sclerosis. And we were gassing up the car. 
And literally somebody at the gas station came up to him and said, you know, if you had enough faith, God would get you out of that chair. Oh, man. And I almost let him have it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I did let him have it verbally, which maybe wasn't the best choice either. But, you know, yeah, Yeah. that that kind of really frustrates me. Well, you're a defender by nature. (laughs) And and I'm that way, too. I, I mean, you can mess with me, but don't come for the people I I love. Mama bear. And, you know. Now, John, how, I mean, being a pastor and struggling with this um, while you were pastoring, Mm -hmm. how transparent were you with your church? Were there certain people that you would tell? And and part two of that question would be, you said, you know, the church doesn't know what to do with this. So how can we change that so the church isn't so tone deaf to what majority of families are probably going through? I think it came in stages. We, when, when Laura really started first, mm-hmm. that was really her story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I, I don't think she came to church for about five or six months mm-hmm. and she just couldn't muster it up. She just didn't want to interact sure. with people. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my elders actually came up and was mm-hmm. like, John, is Laura okay? I haven't seen her in a while. And my answer was, you better ask Laura. That's a great question for you to ask yeah. Laura. Not a, not a question That's for good. you to ask me. Uh, and, and so we were probably less transparent then because we really didn't know what to do. And that felt shameful, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, and she was ashamed and I didn't want to make that worse by making it more public. Right. And so that's somewhat, we go, wait a minute, what's that? Now I will say that Laura has said, um, sunlight's the best disinfectant and, mm-hmm. and shame breeds when we hide secrets For mm-hmm. sure. And makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And so as she has said, no, I'm just going to be transparent about yeah. where I am and who I am with the worst in my life, then there's no power over it. Yeah. yeah. And nobody has power because you know the things that are real. And so if you choose to not want a relationship with me, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to hide. Mm-hmm. And, and so we decided that with our kids that we're not going to play shame games mm-hmm. and we're not going to hide. So as our children suffered, we let people know what was going on, Mm -hmm. um, respecting their story. I mean, I'm not going to tell parts of their story, like, you know, sources of trauma and those kinds of things can be very, very personal and very hurtful. But to say, you know, listen, uh, this is where we are. I can't be there today because I have a hospital visitation from five to six and I have to be there for my kiddo Mm -hmm. or, um, yeah, we, we going to end up graduating high school a year late because Mm -hmm. we missed an entire year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it was more important to be alive than to get grades. As you are walking and journeying with your kids or somebody that's struggling with mental illness, how do you not fall into enabling mm. behavior or codependent behavior? I, I shared with you before, um, my brother growing up struggled with um, substance, substance abuse and has, in his 20s was diagnosed um, as schizophrenic. Mm. So... There has always been this, um, a little bit probably I'm seeing now as I'm older as I didn't feel maybe okay or happy or safe unless he was right. Mm. Like at night I'd be worried. I remember being wake, like waking up in the middle of the night, like he's probably trying to kill himself right now. He's very, you know, struggles with severe depression and it was consuming me. And yeah. I was really distraught for a while. And I remember hus- my husband saying, you have to be okay if he chooses to end his life. That's like, so hard. and it is going to be the hardest because I lived in this anxiety of like, maybe I can help fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if we get him into the right treatment center or if he goes to church or it, I read him all these long letters about accepting Christ because I just wanted him to have his hope in the Lord. Yeah. And I knew that wouldn't fix anything, but I just wanted to know he had his, his eternal salvation was secure. Yeah, right. um, but so much of my, I think a lot of my life was 
I'm happy and I'm okay as long as, as he's going to be okay. Right. And now he's 35. He's still not okay. And I just had to let, you know, that part of me go. But I'm looking back. I'm like, there was probably a lot of codependency. There was a lot of enabling with my parents and, and us. How do you love someone well without getting into this codependent enabling cycle? I really think we didn't do a very good job of that with our oldest quite frankly. Mm. We didn't know any better. Mm. So we just did everything we could to try mm -hmm. to keep things okay. And that was a very codependent way to be for right. quite some time. And I think that did hurt our younger children. And I uh, regret it. Mm. I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that that's something I would change if I could. So I think it's a, a really good thing that you're asking, because I think it's an important thing to be able to say, I think what your husband said, that you have to be okay if that's their choice. Mm -hmm. So a couple of big things that I do now, um, suicide is such a, it's a hot button issue in America, but it's still a hushed tones. Mm -hmm. When we say, well, somebody took their own life or they gave up the fight. Right. I say, no, no. Uh, when somebody dies by suicide, that's how I say it. they died by suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and when somebody says, well, they, they gave up, they were selfish, this and that. Um, I say hogwash, and I would say stronger words than that, but, you know, we're recording for a Christian <laughs> ministry, so I'll be kind. Um, so I, I say absolutely not. They fought that the whole way, mm -hmm. and just because they got beat by it doesn't mean they fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. And I have watched great people fight uh, depression and suicide and end up losing that fight. And that doesn't mean they're less. And right. I honor them in their fight. And mm -hmm. when when I've had friends who've lost their life and died by suicide, um, I'll stand at their funeral and say, don't you for a minute think, oh, they were they, they were too weak. No, no, mm -hmm. they, were, they were strong and beaten by their own brain in a way that you can't understand. Mm -hmm. um, and that's hard. And to say I'm proud of them for fighting as hard as they fought. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to say to my children, I see you fighting and trying. Mm. And I love you for that. And I'm here with you in the fight. Yeah. Uh, and I'm here to be a support. So uh, I actually learned one of the most important parts of this, of fighting the codependency from a friend of mine. Her name's Peg Forrest. I don't know if you've ever met Peg. Peg and mm -mm. her husband, Bay. Bay played in the NBA. Peg mm -hmm. was the director of women at Arizona Christian while I was there. And uh, Peg, when we had a student that was coming to my church, in fact, who was really struggling and she was seeing Peg, and Peg said something to her, said, I want to be a caregiver, but I won't be a caretaker. And mm. so I want to help you, but I can't be responsible for you. And that was uh, like a ring me like a bell moment mm. to mm. say, I want to help because I really honor and respect and acknowledge that I've felt the same way that you have, that when, when our kids are struggling, where I've bolted upright in the middle of the night mm. because I heard something out in the house and going, yeah. oh, oh my gosh, yeah, is there right. a suicide attempt going on? Is, is everything mm -hmm. okay? And if that happened, what would I do? And that has been very, very difficult, but learning to say, number one, I'm nobody's Holy Spirit. I can't, uh, mm. I, I can't be God to them. Mm -hmm. I can be the presence, the visible presence for them, but I cannot be the reason that they're healthy. Yeah. And especially it, whether in my children's lives, my siblings' lives, um, I, I've had to learn that especially in my kids' lives, I'm not going to be around forever. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I'm going to go home to the Lord too, and they have to function without me. Right. Um, my son lives all the way across the country. 
And he is one of my best friends today, mm. which is kind of cool when yeah. you could be friends with your adult kids. Uh, but I'm still dad. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, but I can't impact his day-to-day life. You know, I can, I can bug him. Hey, bud, you taking your medication? You know, you doing okay? Mm-hmm. How's things going in your soul? Uh, he lets me pray for him, but uh, I can't be his caretaker. Mm-hmm. So eventually that's, and that's a healthy thing, right? Right. Grow up, get out of here. <laughs> Form yeah. your own home, right? Shoo, see you at Christmas. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, when I own that, then I put pressure, incredible pressure on me for what's going on in someone else's soul. And I put incredible pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because my mental health now depends on them, which especially when somebody's struggling with depression, with bipolar disorder, with um, especially a, like a, a fast cycling bipolar, hoof, um, with mood disorders or personality disorders, that just makes it worse. And especially if you're dealing with somebody with like the, uh, not to get too psychological, but cluster B personality disorders, the, oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, those cluster B, you do that and it makes it a million times worse. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you have to learn. It, it's like putting gasoline on a fire. Absolutely. Um, just the nature of those, mm-hmm. uh, conditions. Right. Yeah. You're giving them the very thing that makes the very it fuel that fuels yeah. their, their illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reinforces it. So to mm-hmm. be able to say, all right, I, uh, what can I do to help here? And if, uh, you know, we've done things, uh, my two youngest are still at home and are in high school. And at this point, if they go, I, I don't think I can go to school today. Mm-hmm. I, I don't go, okay, well, what am I going to do to get you to go to school today? I go, okay, give me a zero to 10, check in with me real quick. What mm-hmm. are you doing? Zero to 10 scale. Uh, how's your depression today? Like eight. Okay. Uh, anxiety like seven. Okay. How's my inward self-talk? How's that mean person in my head? Do I have any suicidal thoughts or anything like Mm. that? No, I just, the thought of taking a shower is (laughs) radically inappropriate. Mm. I just, there's no way. Okay. Mm. All right. No problem. Mm. I'll call it in. And allowing that to be okay today. And, and then to be able to say to my child, Hey, you were cognizant of your own mental processes and I'm proud of you for that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll make up school another day. It's really mm-hmm. that important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I do the same with my daughters, you know, mm-hmm. the one of them struggles with anxiety, the other one with anxiety and depression and ADHD, which I think kind of, uh, you know, kicks everything into high gear Boy. sometimes for, for her. And so, you know, I'm a, uh, my personality and then I kind of the way I, I grew up was you put your head down put your nose to the grindstone, push through, mm-hmm. you know, um, which as you said, is just not, they can't, mm-hmm. if they could do that, they, they would. would do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes and, them pushing through and putting their nose to the grindstone is simply breathing. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or it was right. everything I could do to sit and have a meal. Right. That, that someone else made in my for mouth. me to put yeah. food in my mouth and, and swallow chew it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think what a lot of people don't, who haven't struggled with depression don't understand about it is, you know, we think of depression as being sad, mm-hmm. that that being the primary experience of depression. Mm-hmm. And there certainly is that within it. But sadness is an emotion that everybody experiences right. sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, and for I know a lot of people who, who have gone through depression, the experience is much more feeling like you have someone's thumb mm-hmm. just pushing you down. You know, the, the, the literal definition of depressing something. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to me. So sadness, maybe. Maybe. But sadness is, like, is an emotion that requires some energy. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. 
Yeah. It took me, yeah, yeah, it took me a while to realize that what I was experiencing was actually depression mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I had a, a, you know, a very narrow view of what that could mean. And so when people would ask me, are you sad? I would say, no, no, I'm not sad. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but I feel like there's this huge, weight but on just, me. I cannot yeah. do well, Anything. and I see a lot of men, not always, but in my pastoral life, I see mm. a lot of men express depression as anger. Yes. It's mm. a very common expression in men. So when, so when a guy says, well, I'm not sad, I don't, you know, that's, ah, whatever, I got the sads. No, no. So tell me about the outbursts of anger. Right. Oh, those have gotten so much worse. Tell me mm. about punching the wall. Right. Tell me about, mm. you know, knocking things off the table. And mm. yeah. I, I've done this. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a clinician. Mm. I'm not a therapist. Uh, but if you look in the DSM, there are nine diagnostic criteria for depression. And if you have five of those criteria as diagnosed by a clinician, then they will confidently make a diagnosis of mm. depression. So I will just start going through some of them with people. Yeah. And just say, have, tell me about this. Have you experienced this? Have you experienced mm. that? Have you experienced this? Have you experienced that? Have you seen those things? Yeah. So many times I get five yeses in a yeah. row and I go, okay, so I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd really encourage you to go get seen. Yeah. Yeah. And John, you coming from a pastoral, you know, minister perspective, I like how you said you kind of first meet with people and you know, that's soul care, but then you're sourcing them out to the professionals. hundred percent. Don't you think so often a lot of churches try to like fix and, and deal with it within the church when really they should be maybe seeing a medical psychiatrist or professional? I think that much treatment. pastoral counseling in reality, and I say this, this is going to get me in trouble. I oh, think we're, much... we're offending everybody today. We're just hitting <laughs> all the bases, all the equal opportunity mm-hmm. offenders. It's, it's cool. I think much pastoral counseling is well-meaning spiritual abuse. Mm. Uh, because people come in and they expect their pastor to be able to help them with this problem in their soul and, and all these problems. And, uh, what I was taught pastoral counseling in at Phoenix seminary, um, as a student, I was taught by Dr. Gloria Gabler, who's last I knew at Fuller. I haven't talked to her in a while. She's fantastic. Mm. Uh, if you can't, can't help them make significant strides in five meetings or less, you are out of your depth Mm. and, and resource, you know, refer And, and instead we don't do that. And when we don't do that, we do a grave disservice to people. And then, but I think somewhat that's pastors thinking, but if I don't help them now, my job is at stake Hmm. or my self-worth is at stake. But me instead, I always told people, look, if you looked at the difference between, um, a, a homeowner, a handyman and a contractor, Mm-hmm. Okay. When I can do some things in my home, I have a little homeowner's bag of tools mm-hmm. and I can fix some things in my home. And when I can't fix the things in my home, I might call a handyman mm-hmm. and that handyman has a bigger toolkit, but there are some projects that he can't do. Right. So when we have the projects that are too big, we call a contractor who will show up right. with the Matco truck full of tools and has <laughs> mm-hmm. all of that available. Because the handyman may be really, really good at fixing stuff, but he's not a licensed electrician. Right. <laughs> he is not a, a plumber. He's right. not you know there's these specialties and actual you know legal ramifications to having those qualifications right mm-hmm. well and it's the, all... you know that they that you would want him to have right. so that all of your stuff is up to code it's the same thing with all of this because mm-hmm. we have to be careful that we don't step outside of our depth 
Um, well, and, and a lot of pastors do. They do, they, right. They step way outside of their their comfort zone or their, their knowledge base. So I would tell people all the time, mm. I'm like a handyman mm-hmm. um, as a pastor. And so if you're struggling with a significant issue, I'm going to show up and, and kind of help you. And, and when we look at the problem, I'm going to kind of diagnose and, mm-hmm. and help you. But I recognize I, I don't have the toolkit to help you. Now, that's not a problem with you. That's right. not because you're too broke for me. Right. It's, I don't have the skills mm-hmm. to help you. Mm-hmm. That's my problem. Yeah. But, but rather than me say, I'll try to muddle through, right. I'm going to help you call a friend. And I have some friends. Mm-hmm. I know some people. So I got mm-hmm. really good at, um, here are our licensed professional counselors yeah. uh, specializing in these areas who I know. Here are especially psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people go to their, their family practitioner for mm-hmm. um, medication. I think that can be a bridge, but your family practitioner has to know everything in a general sense about medicine. They don't know brain chemistry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everyone's brain chemistry is so unique and Mm -hmm. so different. Having a postdoc in brain chemical issues is I think critically important. There's a reason those people make all the monies Mm -hmm. and that's because they're worth it. Uh, And so knowing your limits, they're very important. Mm -hmm. And, And that's even for instance, doing things that aren't mental health related, marriage counseling. Um, and I would look and go, okay, so when we have a couple that's having a hard time communicating, showing commitment to one another, being forgiving, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. I'm down with that. When we have abuse issues in a marriage, nope, I've instantly, I'm out. This Mm. is, uh, this is out of my depth. I Mm -hmm. can't help solve these problems, but not because you're, you're too broken because I'm unqualified. Right. My, my qualifications are in other areas. Right. And recognizing that I think is super critical. I do also think that, that in America, in the church, going to counseling is seen as a, a failure. Oh, we can't hack it. Mm-hmm. And God forbid we should ever tell it. I will tell all of America. My family has been in counseling for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife has a counselor that she sees, not all the time anymore, but whenever she needs to. My kids have had counselors. Uh, I have had a counselor. Mm-hmm. I think that a good counselor, a good therapist is somebody who just helps you frame the challenges and do so in a healthy mm-hmm. way so mm-hmm. that you can cope. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's super helpful to have a disinterested third party do that right, in a right. way that when I say, oh, I'm struggling with my wife doing X, Y, or Z, my wife is not going to help me with that. Mm-hmm. She's too intimately <laughs> right. connected to it. Mm-hmm. Right. But to have a, a counselor that says, so tell me what that is with you and your wife. And I mm-hmm. describe it all and they go, so what is that? What do you think about this as a strategy to help you be healthy with that? Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Mm. Very healthy. Well, you know, therapists don't have any agenda other than to help you. And so even, you know, giving counsel to people in our lives who we love, whether that's a friend or somebody in our life group, or if Mm -hmm. you're a pastor in a ministry position, somebody Mm -hmm. who comes to you, we can provide a level of counsel. Yes. But we all have agendas Mm -hmm. and they might be good agendas. But we can't, we, we are not this disinterested third party, like, right. like right. A, a counselor or a therapist is. Mm-hmm. Well, and they and, particularly um, have a, I'm not involved in your life. I don't know the people in your life. And right. that's on purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. So that I can be disinterested. Now, disinterested is not uninterested. Right, right, right. It's stepped out as a third party to right. say, I don't have a dog in the hunt. Mm-hmm. And so I can give you some greater objectivity on, right. on yeah. what to do here. Yeah, their perspective is is one of, you know, maybe a broader, uh, you know, wider lens where they're able to look at your life from this, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not in the picture, they're taking the picture and they're, they're there to, 
to just kind of really help you with that. And I say the same thing that you do, John, is like we everybody should be in therapy. Mm-hmm. Everybody would benefit from therapy. Well, and, and let me say that. I, I see some folks, especially in the more conservative church, that they really focus, well, I want Bible-only counseling. I can read the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not talking about pastoral care. I really think that there are some uh, therapeutic interventions that we get from the world of psychology. And if you think psychology is built on the words, uh, the study of the soul, Mm-hmm. Well, this is at its core a spiritual enterprise, but uh, all truth is God's truth. And understanding mm-hmm. how people's minds work and how right. their souls function is not a function of, of simply theology. Mm. Right. It is an extrapolation somewhat theologically, mm-hmm. but training in that area is very, very healthy to mm-hmm. help people understand how thought processes work. Yeah. I'm curious, if you could wave a magic wand... And get people to stop saying one thing about mental illness. What would it be? There's probably more than one. There is. But um, what are some of your... Well, say them all. Okay, yeah. yeah. Stop, stop saying if you prayed hard enough, your mm. mental illness would go away. Your depression will go away if you were just godly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listen, for some people at some times, they need to change their priorities. Yeah. I think that... Um, doing honest inventories and saying, wait a minute, is there something standing between me and God right now? Do I mm-hmm. need to repent? I think we all do every day. Right. But mm-hmm. um, having that self-assessment is important and not something to be ignored. But most people with an illness, if somebody comes into the church and they have diabetes, we don't say pray harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We say, take your insulin. Yeah. Go to the doctor. Go to the mm-hmm. doctor. Do these other things like watch right. your diet and those things that'll keep you from losing toes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that'll help you. Uh, well, I th- I wish that we would treat mental mm-hmm. illness in the church like we treat diabetes mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and say, yes, get to the doctor, get yeah. to your counselor. Here's some healthy things that can help you. And then uh, uh, rather than, than pushing away from people, mm-hmm. I wish we would charge in mm-hmm. and, and just live that life with them. Mm. I think as we wrap this show, um, there's so much more we could talk about, mm-hmm. but hopefully... Um, for those of you listening, especially if you're facing some of these challenges, I hope that John's story, his mm. family's journey has um, encouraged you. I hope that it's enlightened you. I hope that um, you have identified in, in some of this um, ways that you can move forward mm-hmm. and not dwell in the past, um, not Live worry about not live in shame, not mm-hmm. worry about the future, but really in the present moment that know that, that the Lord is with you. He is walking this path mm-hmm. with you. And, um, and we're with you here also at family matters. We would love to, um, walk alongside you. We would first love to pray for you. And mm-hmm. so if you have something specific, you'd like us to pray about, please email us at family at familymatters.net mm-hmm. and let us know how we can encourage you, how we can pray for you. We'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, we've got a lot of resources available on our website mm-hmm. at familymatters.net. And a lot that you can, uh, that's free that you can get a hold of, a lot of training programs that can help you um, parent your kids with grace and have a grace filled marriage. Um, let's give John's contact info. How uh, can people best get a hold of you? 
I have a public figure page on Facebook. Um, if you just go search John Korea, um, you'll find a public figure page there for me. Um, if you want to type it into your browser instead, it's facebook.com slash the ASP, ASP guy, okay. uh, because I'm known for active self-protection. Uh, and you can private message me there. You can find me on, on the grams. My mm-hmm. handle on the Instagrams is Minister Malice. Okay. Pretty much across the entire internet, if you if you find inter- Minister Malice anywhere, that's me. That's you. Uh, okay. That was a, a nickname given to me by one of my video game store employees employees when I was in seminary. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it stuck. Um, you can find our business at activeselfprotection.com or on YouTube at Active Self Protection. We actually have two channels there, blah, blah, wow. words. But the best way to, um, if, if you can need any help at all, is to, to private message me on Facebook and yeah. I'm happy to help. Oh, that's so that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. We, uh, we really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. And one more thing I did want to say uh, because of the nature of the show and the content is that if you are struggling with any kind of um, thoughts of hurting yourself, thoughts of suicide, if, if you know somebody who is, I just want to give you the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is 1-800-273-8255. We will also put all of this information on our show notes um, for this podcast episode at familymatters.net. We love you all. It is a it is a privilege and a blessing to uh, to get to chat with you today. So, if I can, one other thing too. If if calling is too much, you can always text home to seven four one seven four one in the United States, and Crisis Response will text you right back, and you okay. can get support because the kids these days and their punk rock yeah. music they don't mm-hmm. like talking on the phone right, too much. Exactly. So, oh, if you text awesome. home to seven four one seven four one, you will get a text back from Crisis Response pretty instantly, and have somebody who can help you there. Over that's text. perfect. Oh, that's I love. That and and you know if somebody has, like you said, I think right at the beginning of the show, you know when your wife said, "I'm either gonna kill myself or I'm gonna get help," you know now that the right thing, the the first step would have been go to the emergency room. I think that that's important for people Mm -hmm. to know Mm -hmm. too. And and um, you know you guys got through that, and and there is light and there is Mm -hmm. hope and. We love you guys, and um, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thanks, Jen. Right. Thank you for listening to the Grace-Based Families Podcast. This is part of Family Matters Ministries. For more podcasts and resources, check us out on familymatters.net slash podcast, or stream us on all major podcast platforms. Once again, this is Karis and Michelle. Until next time.